what you will learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today we're taking you through the best bits of our season because it's the season finale and there's no more books done. The best of season four. So as we usually do in these episodes, we're going through the last uh, half of the season. We're going from the 1st of January through to the end of May for the first half of the season. Check out the best of 2019. Congratulations. Cheers, man. Oh yeah, cheers. This is a more, um, oh yeah, That's a, bit a more clean. somber uh, best of we can't go out to get a burger. We can't go out to the well, bars later. Burger, we mate. can't go. Well, we had. A, we can't go out to get a burger. That's true. <laughs> so we had the burger. Had the burger come to us. We can't go out to a bar. So we've had the drinks come to us as well. But a slightly more, you know, an isolation version mm, from mm. our usual drunken wildness. Yeah. So it'll be a little bit more tame than usual. But we'll see where it all ends up. Mm. So as a, a quick overview, if you haven't listen to one of our best ofs before what we do is we each go through a few honorable mentions and we go through our favorite books from these last five or six months the top 10 from 10 to 1 before that of course we've got a bit of preamble a few things we just talk about yeah so first of all uh have a chat about the the downloads which are i don't know if anyone else really cares about it but (laughs) (laughs) it's a way of our you know measure our dicks really (laughs) (laughs) if you're at a bar or a party and someone's just talking up about their job or whatever he's oh yeah there's 160 you know you just say how many people listening to your podcast so there's a lot of dick measuring going on we hit two mil so we hit two mil it actually took us uh 40 months 40 months to go from zero listens to one million listens and then took eight months to go from one million to two million so i think that's Mm. a good growth right yeah it is growing so what 170,000 a month now yeah that's good. Yeah. So I think that's good. So uh, makes me happy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. So now I appreciate everyone uh, listening to the podcast. As we said, when we started this, we were just after just one person or two people. And yeah, it's just a, a number beyond what we thought it would be. Yeah. I think it's, um, it's, uh, it's pretty cool to see. You know, the first month we ever did this, I think we had 113 downloads. And I reckon probably 80 or 90 of those is me. Just keep refreshing the page to bump that number up. So. Yeah? <laughs> so, I was doing it. <laughs> if you did the other 50, then we I had zero. I was doing the same thing. <laughs> so it's good to get to, uh, get to those nice numbers that we don't have to manipulate ourselves too much. Probably worth mentioning briefly was alluding to it on some of our uh, advertisements with 99 Designs, but we have been putting together a book. So we don't want to release too many details because we haven't really done the full marketing spiel which we think is um so we went hard on it in january so i went to indonesia for a month to nut it all out you did it from back here in melbourne and at the end of the month i go to you mate well, i think we're done <laughs> i think you're done you're like, no mate, we're, <laughs> trust me we're at 20 percent now like, no we're, we're fucking done mate we've yeah, written to the printers start selling them yeah <laughs> i mean i was actually i had the same thing i was going to mention in my mind just say in january we went, we went pretty hard in january so the book is a as a a quick high level peek behind the curtain similar to our top 50 but this time we're doing our top 100 the best bits from those 100 books and a little bit about how what we think of those books and we did all 100 in january in that one month and you thought it was done and i said i think there's probably a bit more to go and we're still going there's there's mm. a lot more to go than just those those 100 100 uh 1000 word write-ups so we're working on it it's coming it's still coming so another shout out, this season is the first time we've got a audio editor on board. So if you've noticed an increase in sound quality, it's because of Jan Wong. So shout out to Jan. Uh, I think we were first podcast that she's got on board and she's been absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal. man. I think, there was a, uh, I think it was around the end of Feb, start of March. I think probably the Never Split the Difference was the first episode. So if you saw an, a massive increase from one episode to the next episode, that's exactly why Jan knows what she's doing a lot better than we do. Yeah, so if you want to get in touch with Jan, if you want to do your own audio recording or anything like that, uh, get in touch with us and we'll put you in touch with Jan. Man, I forgot to uh, – this wasn't on the sheet, but if, as well, we, we love hearing from listeners – podcast at whatyouwillearn.com or if you head on the website i'm sure there's someone to contact us we'd love to hear what you guys are interested in what you're reading uh what you like about the episodes what you hate about the episodes what should change what should keep or just say good day yeah say good day so enough preamble should we get into the uh honorable mentions yeah let's do it so these are the on it, it was a very strong it was a very strong five months mm. very strong five months so there was uh I could have squeezed 15 or 16 into my top 10, but a few of them have to get a ruthless cut and get 
uh, relegated to the honourable mentions instead of into the top ten. It's normally the weaker of the two six month slots mm. is this one because we don't we got basically one less month. Yeah, we normally have what, yeah five or six less episodes. So normally it's a the top ten. It's pretty obvious, but I feel like this was it was a strong, very strong. Mm. And we squeezed in three episodes we've already done, which have been you know absolute top shelf. So the first honourable mention uh, for both of us goes to Never Split the Difference, uh, a great book on negotiation. So getting to yes, getting past no, we've done. They're very great, rational books, step-by-step, step, do this, do that, exactly follow this formula. But this is more up your alley than Machiavellian, manipulate, twist, and hurt the other person <laughs> so they go off and uh, and you know have a very painful ordeal from the negotiation, but you beat them. Yeah, that's it. Chris Voss, I don't know if that's how he would describe his own book, but uh, if that's how you want to read it, that's how you want to read it. <laughs> that's clearly you. <laughs> but I think, I think Chris Voss, uh, he was an FBI hostage negotiator. So he's taken these, as you said, these very rational ideas of focusing on the principles instead of their interests and uh, – Hang on, the interest instead of the positions <laughs> of getting to yes. So he's you know, all these rational boardroom techniques that make a lot of sense on paper. Chris has taken these to the real world when people's lives are on the line, when there's tens of millions of dollars changing hands and when shit's getting pretty serious. Another honorable mention goes to Decisive. So this is a book I think we read about 12 months ago and mm. I originally really didn't like it. You said it sucked, yeah. And then I came back around to it yeah, and I loved it but I forgot <laughs> I said how much it sucked <laughs> until you went into the messenger and you found out exactly what I said. <laughs> That's it. Well, I, uh, uh, it's by Chip and Dan Heath. We've done a couple of their books before, Switch. We've done The Power of Moments and this time we did Decisive. Basically, they said, look, we're all really, really bad at making decisions. They went through a whole bunch of studies in our careers. We suck in our relationships. We suck in our personal goals. We suck. Basically, there's all these things working against us where we think we're good at making decisions, but we're really, really bad. And that was our our most recent episode, um, so I'd say check that one out. They've got a mm. simple, nice simple four-step process as they like to do, boil it down to something memorable. And our third honourable mention before we get into our top tens goes to Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. Would have liked with this to make one both one of our top tens. I was, I was hoping that you were going to get it in. I was hoping you'd get it yeah. in. <laughs> I think it's a close. It's very close to getting into either of our top tens, I think. Mm. She's come up with a very, very interesting idea in the belief that Elizabeth thinks our planet is inhabited not only by animals and humans like us, but also ideas which come and strike you at any moment, you know, and it's that moment where you get the hair on your back of your neck, those tingles and everything like that. It's when inspiration hits you with an idea and it's how you should be working with inspiration to get that idea out into the world Mm. um, and what happens if you don't work with it. Yeah, she's saying ideas... As an being or an, as an entity of their own, they're looking for a human collaborator. They're this idea for them to uh, be transmuted into reality. They need a human to take it and run with it. So they're floating around the universe looking for someone to do it. If they find you, they'll give you a chance. If you do something about it, that's amazing. They're happy. If you don't do something about it, they're going to move off and try to find someone else. Mm. Okay, so there's some good books for the honorable mentions. I think you missed one. How'd you skip one? This is probably one of our most... Uh, one of the listeners' favourite episodes. We've had a, a lot of shares on Instagram of people saying they loved this episode. We didn't really love the book. Very popular episode, very good stuff. Uh, I think, you know, a bit of ego here, but I think the episode was probably better than the book. Um, <laughs> but a shout out to uh, Miss Panama 2019 as well who gave us a share on, on Instagram. That was one of the highlights of the season for me. That got me very excited. But yeah, emotional intelligence, right? It's, uh, it's, it's a good book and I think sometimes books trail out to be longer than they need to be but then when we do the notes and then we summarize the notes and then we do the episode we're only just taking the best bits and as you said every now and then we feel like the episode does overrepresent what the actual book was and this is perhaps one of those cases yeah i think it's important stuff and like 20 years ago when he first created this or whenever it was it was groundbreaking stuff it was like no one had ever thought of this idea everyone was just focused on iq but he brought these ideas of eq and so they're vitally important i think it's probably a bit more readily accepted now that people know this stuff but it's still it's very great great stuff that he was able to really be become i guess the father of emotional intelligence so now we're ready to get into yeah, the top now seven. that's it that's it so we'll start off with my number 10 just a brief history of time uh it's one of those ones it's probably not how not too much point going too deep in it now because <laughs> we're talking about uh how you can travel fast and speed of light go back in time <laughs> how black holes are made, wackiness to quantum physics, the anthropic principles. 
they're pretty big topics to unpack and you can't really do them at the surface level. That's it. Normally with our, our best of episodes, we like to give what's the best one or two lessons, but it's it's probably a bit too hard to give a one-minute overview of the but, brief history yeah, of Yeah, it's just a lot of nostalgia for me. My great uncle giving it, giving it to me, the first book that I mm. ever read and um, I was always captivated by the whole idea of time travel. It's actually possible. It's just an engineering problem. And then, you know, there, there probably will be a time when we can actually move forward into the future rather than past. So I'm pretty excited for that. Hopefully, yeah. I'll get to do it. I think there's a lot of um, a primacy bias or is that a thing? Primacy bias? Was that the first book you read? So it kicked off the reading journey. Yeah. I think objectively, it's probably not. We, not invent, a lot of, we invent a lot of biases. <laughs> but it's probably similar to me. Like uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People was the first book I read. So it's got an extremely high ranking was maybe it's you know maybe it's in the 15 to 20 range not the five to one range Mm, number 10 for you man the paradox of choice big bad barry schwartz uh basically saying there's so much choice around us every single thing has more and more options whether that's tv whether that's things to view online that you mentioned in the episode whether that's different brands of foods whether (laughs) whether that's uh uh investments whether that's pension plans all these things there's just choices infinite through the roof now and it's actually we think that having more choice and more options is a good thing but barry schwartz says actually there's a there's a certain point where the more choices you add the worse it actually is yeah increased choice means that you've got more autonomy which on the surface thinks it looks like a really good thing you got more choices you can do more stuff but that increased complexity actually uh, reduces and downgrades the quality of your life so some of the things you can do is you can satisfy us more and maximize less. And I think that's a takeaway that all of us can get. Um, perfectionism in many ways is uh, counterproductive for what you're trying to do. Near enough is good enough is actually a good philosophy mm. in many ways. Yeah, that's what he says. Is obviously, you can go out there and try and find the absolute best thing. You can search every single option. You can compare them all. You can analyze which one's going to be best. But all that time searching is really lost time. And you actually feel worse about it because you're always thinking, oh man, what if I had gone for option B instead? So he says that every area, we're going to have a few things that you need to maximize in. So whatever you care most about, feel free to maximize, but everything else, just go for good enough. Number nine for me is Principles by Ray Dalio. Yeah, out of all the people in the world, I'd put Ray as my number one or listen to when it comes to his ideas about the world economy and a lot of his philosophies I really love. His way of thinking is something I really respect. Quite interestingly, you know, Ray Dalio is saying right now we're about to enter a depression. Yeah. A depression, which is an interesting sign. Hopefully he's wrong. <laughs> but what I loved about his book here was uh, a lot of things, but mainly just about his equation here that pain plus reflection equals progress. And both of those things are important. So first of all, pain is a very good thing to maximize your evolution there is no avoiding pain if you're going for ambitious goals. So if you are someone who wants to actually do something in the world, then that's just something you get a cop and you could do accept along the way. But the second part about that is important also is reflection. So constantly reflecting on the learnings from your pain. And if you do those two things, over time, you're going to inevitably have progress. Very nice principles. I liked, uh, so it was in three parts. It was in the biography part and then it was in the personal principles. Mm. What was it called? Yeah, we'll go with that personal, something like that. And then the work principles, which is about the building a team and building a company. I really like the second part there, which is about the, the things that you can take and apply to your own lives. I thought that was um, some really good stuff. Number nine for me is uh, How to Stop Worrying and Start Living by Dale Carnegie. So as I mentioned, the first book I ever read was How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie, which I reckon is awesome. This is one that I'd heard a lot. Tim Ferriss loves this one. I've heard a lot of people recommend that this is just as good, if not better. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's good. I wouldn't say it's better than How to Win Friends, but I think it's good and the timing of when we read it was pretty perfectly timed. Yeah, another popular episode, wasn't it? But I like the idea of uh, it's actually the, some of the, the small nagging thoughts that will bring you down. There's a great analogy here about the gigantic tree in Long's Peak in Colorado. It stood for 400 years, really long life, had lightning 14 times, hit by avalanches, bushfires, storms for four centuries. Maybe had avalanches and bushfires. I think we just <laughs> I added that extra adjective just to give it a bit more meaning, which uh, we always do a little bit of. But you know, despite all these huge events that it went through, it was these little tiny termite insects that actually got in there, mm. constant biting away, that took this beast of a tree down. Mm. And obviously, the analogy translates to us. It can be these little nagging thoughts that we allow to run rampant. 
that it will be the things that take us down. It's not those huge events mm. in your life necessarily. Yeah, we often might think that if we lose our job, that's going to really you know send us into the brinks of depression. Or if we get divorced, that, that there's going to be some massive thing. If we go bankrupt, there's all these massive things that we think could wipe us out. But we're often pretty resilient against those things. We're able to cope with those pretty well. It's often those very, very small day-to-day things that really nag at us and build mm-hmm. up, whether it's you know a, a partner that does something that annoys you or whether it's, uh, I was trying to think of a specific example. I can't, she's, uh, she's perfect, so I'll have to uh, leave it at that. But uh, mm. I don't know. But anyway, those small little things that build up to uh, really tear you down from the inside out, really weaken you as you go. Mm. That's real uh, passion about Alison. That's very nice. <laughs> I, was to, I was trying to think of an example. She does a lot of shit to piss me off. So I was trying to think of one. Mate, I really yeah, like... He's, he's back. <laughs> <laughs> I really like no one kicks a dead dog. Uh, that you know, If people are hanging shit on you, then... It says it's actually probably a good thing. Mm. It's like a, a weird thing that the more shit people hang on you, then probably the better you are. Mm. And that there's you're not going to kick a dead dog if the dog's dead lying on the ground. You don't kick it if you're well, at the at the dregs of society. Yeah. No one's no one's punching down to you. Very true, but very dangerous also if you just take it as an excuse not to take on criticism. That's true. That's true. <laughs> so number eight for me. It's going to come a little bit later. Number eight for you. Infinite Game by mm. the the Sin Man. Yeah, Simon Sinek. I think when I, um, I wasn't, ex- I don't, I don't know. I wasn't expecting it to be that good. And I think the fact that we were able to interview Simon Sinek, which was, I think was a really good interview based on this book, bumped this up in the rankings. Mm. So I think, uh, I think the the book itself. I, I liked the the book probably. I liked it better than Start with Why in the sense that I felt like Start with Why was a bit uh, surface level. We took the idea from the TED Talk and blew it up to three hundred pages. Uh, whereas this, I felt like it had a uh, somewhat more juice in it and the page mm. to lesson ratio was better. Yeah, well, 30 to 40 pages in, I think I messaged you saying, hey, mate, I don't think we're doing this book. Yeah. yeah. There's not enough juice in it. Yeah. And I thought it was a very bad book. And then after finishing, it was a little bit better. After speaking to Sinek, I thought it was a bit better. And by the end of it, I'm like, oh, shit, this is actually a really mm. good book. Yeah. So we did back, I think it was like the start of season two, we did Finite and Infinite Games by James P. Cast, which is like a 50-year-old philosophical book, which I don't think we really understood at the time. I think if we read it again, we'd like it even better. But what Simon Sinek's basically done here is he's taken that idea and applied the ideas of finite and infinite thinking and applied that to the word of business. So I might be taking this a bit too simplistic, but in the case of business, Finite Games could be a lot of organizations looking at their quarterly uh, profits, earnings per per share or whatever it might be and because of that the goals you set are going to be vastly different to the company who's out uh, with their infinite mindset looking at servicing the longest term values that are going to stand the test of time probably longer than your own you know how long you're going to be living as a person or even as an organization and the two different mindsets lead to two different completely different sets of decision making so for example right now at the time of recording obviously Huge event in our lifetime is uh, the coronavirus hitting mm. and some organizations out there, if you've got the infinite mindset, all of a sudden this can be a small blip, mm. even an opportunity for something for you to learn and grow from this experience in service of what your real long-term goals are. If you're looking at quarterly earnings per share, <laughs> you're cooked. <laughs> you're pretty cooked. Yeah. You'd just be looking at the downside um, and you know, you'd be getting pissed off and not not seeing the same levels of opportunities the infinite mindset would. Yeah, definitely. I think the something like this, a global pandemic that affects everybody worldwide, it's very easy to get forced back into the finite thinking. If you think, oh, we're, we're losing money, we've got to lay off staff or we've got to cut production or we've got to, uh, there's something that you think you should do that in the short term is going to be a good thing, but we really need to push back to that long-term thinking. And I guess as part of that, it often it also helps that if you're expecting bad things to come. He talks about during the good times, you've got to put a little bit away, whether that's companies saving a bit of extra money or whether that's individuals saving a little bit of extra money rather than just spending everything. And then when the, when the bad times hit, then you're out of, out of buffer. So that was my number eight, The Infinite Game by Simon Sinek. And as I said, I think the, the interview was, was very, very good. Uh, I, was, I think we're very happy with that performance. It was an early 3 a.m. start for us. Mm. But I think, that, I think we found that a good mix of touching a little bit on the book but then real-world applications. And again, probably the perfect and time. And pushing him a bit as well. Yeah. We don't want to be too weak in our interviews. We want to push him a little bit. Yeah. Okay, number seven for me comes up later in yours. It's actually very high up for you. Very high up. And number seven for you, stillness is the key. Mm. By Ryan Holiday. Did you so obviously do that silence <coughs> and stillness? 
I, I thought you just you've skipped saying the author's name a couple of times. Oh, so I thought I thought you just forgotten to say it again. Yeah, but, no, I forgot. <laughs> good bit no, of stillness. No, actually, I'll claim the stillness. <laughs> good stillness. Pure stillness. Good stillness. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think I mentioned actually last uh, the best of 2019. We did Ego as the Enemy and that was very high up on my list. And I said that Ryan Holiday is probably my number three, closely uh, following Seth and Robert Green. I think uh, Ryan Holiday, I definitely like his stuff. I'd say this was probably the, the least, my least favorite of his three though. Obstacle mm. is the way, Ego is the Enemy, and Stillness is the key. I found like the others were, were pretty obvious in terms of the three that he broke it up, like three sections each. This was like mind, body, spirit. It was a bit of a shoehorn. What's in the mind? What's in the spirit? Yeah, it was a bit of a shoehorn, mind, spirit, body, I think. The open art was actually spot on because the context setting of the book was uh, very relevant to what we have right now. It's like the idea that our inability to just sit still and just be silent, like we can't do it. It just makes us very uncomfortable, all of us. Um, And every moment you've got... You've always got something to do, whether it be a podcast, answering an email, and we never really allow ourselves to get bored. But in allowing ourselves to get bored, there's actually huge upside, which is explored in the book. And a lot of the leaders back in the day, they've all allowed this stillness to enter their lives. Yeah, one of my favorite things from the book, he talks about Napoleon, how he instructed his assistants, don't bring me any mail unless it's three weeks old. So he'd leave a letter sitting there and he loved opening it up and finding someone who was stressed out of their mind saying that the world's going to end, we're about to be mm. destroyed, there's so much chaos going on, we need you instantly, come and fix this for us. And when he read it, he found that three weeks later it had sorted itself out and he didn't actually have to do anything. So I think there's a lot of that where we get caught up, someone sends us an email and say, holy shit, this has just gone through the roof, something's blown up, we need to fix this, please quickly jump online, it's mm. 9.30 at night on a Sunday night, please jump on and fix this, we've made this huge mistake. I think a lot of times... Are you looking at me as as my thing? (laughs) No. (laughs) So that's exactly... I feel like I've done... last night. (laughs) (laughs) No, I was actually... I was thinking of a different story. That's exactly the kind of shit... When you were saying, I'm like, shit, I do all that all the time. Then you you get more and more specific when you're going on that rant. I'm like, is this a little barb? No. We always love throwing a few barbs at the end of... Actually, fuck, I actually should have, yeah. No, I was actually thinking... You probably come up with one spot. Partner uh, partner Al gets... Thrown under the bus sometimes. Mate, she's getting the, seriously. The, she's getting smacked up this episode. No, she uh, cops it from her boss. Who, uh, the uh, the specific example was like so. She was she made an Instagram post on the company page. The boss took a screenshot, deleted it, edited it, put it back up, but she completely fucked it up. So the boss had made this mistake and was calling everyone, fix, fix this, fix this, fix this, please mm. fix this. I made a mistake, fix it. I thought, man, I feel like a lot of that shit would just sort itself out if you ignore that. Yeah, hundred percent. Shout out in this book also to the best name that I've ever come across. <laughs> Mate, you just named your kid from this episode, I remember. Yeah, Master said, Kenzo. Yeah. <laughs> First name Master, second name Kenzo. Too good. Well, <laughs> do you reckon that have you have you run that past the partner? Well no, there's no there's no babies <laughs> popping out anytime soon. Too good. Well that was my number seven. Let's go to number six. Number six for me, mastering the market cycle by Howard Marks. So out of all the investing books, uh, How Marks by Far is my favorite writer. Uh, and now, didn't I've, you say that about Ray Dalio like oh, 15 <laughs> minutes ago? <laughs> <laughs> Mate, his philosophy in investing. <laughs> oh, fuck. Yeah, nah. You got me. Yeah. So yeah, I you say that a lot. No, you often say, oh, this is the, the best X or the best Y. Sometimes there's a lot of bests competing for the same best. <laughs> it's lost a lot of value when so, I say that. Probably all value right now. Mate, so who are you putting higher? Obviously, you're putting Mark's higher. He's number six. Dalio is number nine. Probably wouldn't in pure financial investing terms. Um, I mean, mastering the market cycle, like from previous books, the smartest investment book we ever read and everything like that, you'd think, all right, you're an idiot if you try and time the market mm. because investing is so uncertain uh, and if you just try and buy stocks when they're high, buy sell them when they're low, then you're just doing active trading. You're better off just buying a passive index fund and just going to sleep and then waking up later. But I really think after reading this book, you've got a, such a better understanding of actually how the cycle works. And I think you don't have to worry about just where you're putting dollars in. This is a general life philosophy, being contrarian, the value in doing that. When everyone out there is being defensive and they're being pessimistic, there's probably the same amount of opportunities are out there but less people going for them. So the best time to be aggressive is when everyone else is pessimistic and defensive 
and then when everyone's being greedy, overly optimistic about everything, that's probably the best time to actually be a little bit more risk averse um, and being a bit more careful about what you do. Mm. So I think that just spreads not investing, going into business, going into... Yeah, I think that was my favorite part of it was not so much the uh, economic and financial side of it. I think probably... I think 90% of the economic cycle stuff I'd probably covered in economics 101 in uni but he added that 10% of the real world application. So I think not only just in the investing sense but then also taking this as a bit of a metaphor to your your career or in whatever else it is that you know when everybody else is confident maybe you should think hang on what what's everybody missing or if everybody's scared shitless what's some way that you can strengthen your own position. Now I've got one uh, I've got one question here it's mm. somewhat related to this. Um, somewhat unrelated <laughs> the go. book um, Choose Yourself by James Altucher you weren't a fan what did you think why, why weren't you a fan of that book Jeez, it's going back it's a gone few back years either way you set me up for something no no, no nothing a, to do with this it's a full set up <laughs> um, or say like uh, Mark Manson is probably not the best example I think James Altucher is probably the best example Gee, I, feel, I feel like you put a whole bunch of blog posts together <laughs> yeah mate Seventy percent of this book was literally copy pasted from his own blog posts. Yeah, but this guy—I <laughs> <laughs> knew it was a setup. <laughs> was a well, set. As soon as I entered, track. you just like straight away just literally. And I he knew it was a trap, and I walked into it. He unashamedly says as well, "I've written this shit before. Here, I'm just copy pasting it. Here it is, mate." Howard Marks <laughs> versus J. Maltachar. <laughs> mate, they do the same thing. They just they take are their own on blog a, an absolutely different level, book. mate. Maltachar's lost the plot. <laughs> I think uh, he's an amateur, mate. No, I, I say I was going to mention that in the Mark's episode, but it was a good episode. But I thought he he literally just takes his own blog post and turns him, calls him a book chapter, but mm. it's just a blog post he's already done. He weaves them much better than your man. <laughs> so that was uh, oh, so my number six is your number five. So that works out pretty well, and that's yeah. the slight edge by Jeffrey Olson. So I, uh, as I said, I've got it at number six. You've got it at number five. I think it was a bloody good book. I think it would have even been higher if we had read it earlier. Yeah. If this was a season one book, it would have been top two. I think it delivers the idea of just selling you on making small changes, everyday changes in your life and how those small changes actually add up to make up and accumulate and compound to just really choose the direction where you go in life. I mean, there's probably so many moments every day where you make these little decisions Am I going to eat that dirty burger from Fat Joe's or we just ate? Or am I going to go and order Spud Bar instead? Uh, are we going to, you know, have a glass of water or are we going to have Johnny, Johnny Red, Red label, label and Diet Coke, no we sugar? Diet, we went the Coke, no sugar. That's a millionaire decision, not a beach bum decision. That's true. <laughs> that's after our third like, coffee of the day as well. That's true. I like the um, the that simple shift in in viewing decisions so he tells a story to set it up of these two guys that went to school together they graduated at the same time they roomed in college together they were very similar their upbringings were very similar their skills were very similar their potential was it very evenly matched one of these guys dropped out of college moved to the beach was mowing mowing lawns for a living and uh whilst he was somewhat popular and he liked to go and pick up chicks ultimately he was a beach bum the other friend took a different route. He went to college. He got straight A's. He got recruited by a big firm. He was a sales superstar. He later built up. He saved money. He created his own company, eventually became a millionaire. And the reason that either person could have gone either way is big bad Jeff Olsen. Mm. He was both of them. He started out as a beach bum. He started making some positive changes in his life, became the millionaire. So I think it's just that idea that every decision that you face whether that's a financial decision, a career decision, a health decision, a decision in uh, your personal relationships, every decision is either taking you closer to that beach bum or closer to that millionaire. Because mm, that beach bum and millionaire is within us all and it is those tiny decisions which are going to put you in both directions because I think about it, it's just too arbitrary and in the future where it goes. So it does connect your destiny right down to your small decisions. So, you know, for the first few weeks after it, I was... <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I was making some good slight edge decisions. You were. I've probably corrected a little bit back the other way, but I reckon I've carried a bit more slight edge with me. I think it's. I think it's just good to think. Is this, you know, as, as you say, is this burger I'm going to eat? Is this a beach bum or a millionaire? And you got to you got to recognise that. And obviously, there's just very simple terms because this was Jeff's um, world. He was a beach bum, then he was a millionaire. But of course, is this is this a, a decision leading me to being an unsuccessful person or a decision leading me towards being successful? Hmm. 
So number five for you is linchpin. I think it was my number seven, I think. <clears throat> yeah, I think number eight. Number eight for you, number five for me. And this is, uh, I think this is probably a testament to how strong the season was that this is only number five. Because I think in most other seasons, this would be even higher up. I'm a big fan. Lynchpin, Seth Godin. Uh, I'm an unashamed uh, Seth Godin fan. And this one I, I really liked that, again, it's like a simple two-part thing. Either you're a cog or a linchpin. He says that you know in the big industrial machine, most cogs, you can take one out and put a new cog in and nothing changes. It's just the, the same repetitive job that gets done over and over. Whereas the linchpin, it's a simple little device. It's a pretty cheap little thing, but it's the one uh, essential part of that system that holds the whole machine together. So if you take out that linchpin, everything else falls apart. So again, mm-hmm. it's just a simple thing. It, is the job you're doing, are you currently approaching it as though you're a cog or are you approaching it as though you're a linchpin? Yeah, and... You're by default trained up to be a cog and it's not your fault. It's just your parents have put you in that. The whole university system has told you to uh, sit down and be quiet since school. You could just sit down, shut up and put your hand up and when you get out into the real world, you're just, you're just straight up cog and to become a linchpin, it's something very difficult. You need to deal with the fear that's going to take you there. You need to stand out and put your head out where you might get chopped off you might just become more human in your mm. interactions with people, which takes courage in itself. Yeah, well, I think it, I think it applies everywhere. You know, it, it applies to the tradie on the site, whether his boss gives him the set of instructions and he just goes and does it or the one who notices a flaw and is willing to speak up and take a risk that he might offend the boss, but he might uncover something that was uh, vitally wrong or structurally wrong in that first place. Or whether you're, you know, working in the in hospitality, you can either be the person who takes the order and without failure brings out the correct meal and hands it to them. That's it. Or you could be the person that goes that little step extra to, you know, a smile on your face, no matter how you're feeling. Ask them how the day's been, or just have that extra level of uh, connection beyond just taking orders. Yeah, and I think right now in this unique moment, the choice between being a cog or linchpin, it's very easy because. Everyone right now, you can work from home mm. um, and no one will know really the difference if you've been a cog or a linchpin. We were just saying before as we're eating our dirty burger, <laughs> <laughs> just to throw a barb at you, mate. <laughs> Hopefully your boss isn't listening, but you, you said I've, I've gone more cog Yeah, as, t- <laughs> as, as a choice. I've been doing too much linchpin shit, man. I've got to get some more cog. <laughs> no, you, <laughs> you've been going consciously cog. Um, just so you got more time up your sleeve to do your own, uh, your own hustle and shit. I must admit, I did take a few specific decisions that pushed me more towards the cog end of the spectrum, consciously and deliberate. <laughs> Man, I've been too, and I went the other way, not talking myself up too much. But too I, linchpin, I, bit too linchpin <clears throat> recently, yeah. taking on too much uh, linchpin work, and yeah, upside Man, and, and downside. The downside, if you're a linchpin, you're a linchpin. Everyone. If you become the linchpin, everyone's going to start giving you more and more shit. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that's, I think that's a, uh, I don't know. I had something, I had a good rebuttal, but I've completely well, forgotten. Uh, there's, there's, there's downside, there's upside and downside to every book. I think uh, when you first start reading, you just assume that some books you read come across and you just love it so much that you think it's the gospel and you preach the gospel of it. Mm. But then over time, you hear a counter idea. Mm. And then, which is also probably equally true than the other one. So, uh, I think it just shows that no book has all the answers. Yeah, no, for sure. I do think that linchpin's the right way to go. You can't yeah. be a cog. Um, well, you went. I think you, I was, went, you went cog, so you can be linchpin more linchpin <laughs> in other ways. Right? Which yeah, is let's, true. let's say that. Let's say that. The um, I, I just remembered as I was uh, as we were about to move on that you, the subtitle of the book was "Are you indispensable?" If you've been a linchpin this whole time, when the big world crisis comes along, you still got a job. If mm. you were a cog in the machine, if you weren't indispensable, you quickly find that you might have been dispensed with. Yes. So you have to number four for me. Number four, yeah, number four for you. Reason one: guns, germs, and steel. Um, you need. Know, Start with your barbs or... Oh, your barbs? I was just going to say, it's probably not surprising. This is nowhere near my top 10 or honorable mentions. This would be uh, in, lower down the list. Yeah. But a bloody good episode. A bloody good episode, I think, from, from what the book could have been. Yeah, it's a very thick book. And I think uh, books like that, it's not going to make you, you know, help your career specifically. And it's got some uh, quite clear thing that it's going to help your personal life on. But I think... Um, for me personally, this is just if you're curious about how 
some things in the world work, then this is for you and you'll learn a lot about the world. And I think over time, uh, you know, over the decades, having an increased understanding about what happens in the world in terms of history, human nature, how we got to the point where we are now, uh, I think over time it will come back to help you personally in some kind of way. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a great setup to the story of saying there was a, a big battle at Kahamaka, the two tribes of uh, Atahuapa and Pizarro. How was the memory and the pronunciation on those? A few was, weeks removed okay. from the episode. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, anyway, there was this big battle. 168 Spanish soldiers came uh, and they were in South America and there was 80,000 uh, Native Americans. It's pretty obvious. You would think that the tribe of 80,000 would decimate 168 Spaniards without too much concern, but it was actually the exact other way and that somehow these 168 soldiers wiped out this entire uh, army. They captured the, the, uh, they captured the leader without a single loss. I think one of those 168 dudes got a sore arm or something. Yeah. But other than that, they all survived. From swing- he, yeah, he <laughs> hurt his shoulder from swinging that sword through the, you know, thousands of... Indians quite literally. Yeah, but it's a, it's a good question is how did, the, how did the Spanish go across to South America mm. rather than the other way around? Well, it teeters on the idea of, uh, you know, why did the Europeans, Captain Cook, sail to Australia and uh, wipe out a lot of the Aboriginal population and why wasn't it the Aboriginals that went over and did it to Captain Cook? Mm. Or same with South America, again, going to Europe, the old world conquering the new world. And I think, as it says in the book, a lot of us have these beliefs, unconscious, probably too, uh, too politically incorrect to articulate that are kind of racist. I think deep down, we've, a lot of people without reading this book would think, oh, yeah, it's uh, due to biological differences. Mm. Well, you think that you know, in, the, in Australia, there was Aborigines here for 40,000 years who were in a somewhat primitive society and then within a, 100 years, the Europeans come and it's uh, a modern society. So you think, well, maybe there's just some biological difference that Europeans are just innately better than Aboriginals. Yeah, well, we clearly look different, mm. a lot of uh, Aboriginals to the Europeans, so you just assume there might be difference in the brain. 100% not the case. Turns out it was the geographic factors that were in the Fertile Crescent, the place of Syria, Iraq, uh, Iran. Back in the day, that was an absolute thriving, just wetlands full of different forms of plant species and animal species where agriculture developed in terms of animals and plant in the best way, which gave rise to food surpluses, meaning not every person has to go around there creating food. Just a couple of people can create food and the rest can go out and do other shit like uh, invent new technologies, write things, uh, create religions and ideologies and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, those ultimate causes in the background were actually the whole reasons. Had nothing to do with biology. Hmm. Man, very interesting. Man, very good memory from... um for three weeks ago that you've got that whole book in one paragraph and then and even the book in one sentence here that he says that history followed different causes for different people because of differences amongst their environments not because of the biological differences so it's just saying that it was a there was a bit of luck there was a bit of fortune in terms of where people started and it was nothing to do with one one race of people were better than the other and do a wee and then we'll get a top up mate yeah should we wee outside? With yeah, all, let's, go outside. <laughs> let's go outside. Anyone listening right now, uh, last end of year episode, Astro over there. <laughs> We've had this great relationship with our neighbor for a very long time. Good mates. <laughs> Until the third his daughter's playing. Get out, you go. <laughs> Until Astro went out there and pissed on the garden, <laughs> on the dividing wall. And uh, since then, it's been very awkward between us. Man, we got a funny email from Mickey D as well. Uh, one of our long-time loyal listeners said, get upstairs, lads. They're outside, pissing outsides for dogs. Yeah. Let's go do it. Outside? <laughs> outside. Shit. Okay, we're back from uh, the quick urination break. The neighbor didn't catch me this time. He mustn't have been outside, thankfully. I think he was one of those people who pents up his anger. <laughs> All right? I think last time we did about three or four in the space mm. of an hour. And he kind yeah. of just pent up with rage and then let and it then go. <laughs> released it. He's probably going to release it when you leave. <laughs> Mate, before we move on, we didn't do any books um, of these last five months by this author, but I've just got to ask uh, before we move on to the next bit. Mate, tell me a, uh, just succinctly <laughs> a couple of reasons why don't, you, trap. why don't you like Malcolm Gladwell's books? Just a couple of, couple of quick reasons why you don't like him. Because he's, the narratives he uses are too arbitrary and too vague and hearing about some hockey team from 20 years ago, right, doesn't really back up the, the, the case of being 
successful. So you, I know, mate, I know where your trap's going about <laughs> Jared Diamond. So I'll preemptively catch you before you, so you, you let your barb out. So one thing, the Jared Diamonds. <laughs> no, no, no. Hang on, hang on. One thing you've said in the past, you said that you know, there's uh, looking at the life of Bill Gates. There's so many different factors that it's impossible to boil it down to three or four ideas. That's something you've said in the past. Would you agree? I never said impossible. I'd say the <laughs> I'd say the arbitrary reasons yeah. that Malcolm Gladwell pull out um, don't really capture all of success. Mm. And I'm going to back that up because your number one book goes directly <laughs> against Gladwell. Mate, we're not talking about that one yet. I'm just talking about we'll, we'll Jared Diamond. Okay, so we've got we've got, he talks about seven million years of human history, and he's managed to boil it down to two or three things that just happen to have been the whole answer to whole Do of you human history. It at all. Yeah, I think he, I think there's a bit more nuance to that. So what, all right, what is it? Is the biological difference? No, I'm just Mr. <laughs> Racing Boy, Mr. Racism. Man, I'm just saying that uh, the exact reasons that I can understand why you don't like Gladwell, that there's a, a bigger picture and he's picked a few specific ideas that have become his theories. I'd say it works the exact other way. Well, I think uh, Diamond's ones are very hard to refute compared to Gladwell. His his book's much more packed, much more big. And yeah. his narratives are much more detailed and well no, thought I don't out. Think, I don't think a long book necessarily makes it a better book. It's but, a fucking long book. But when you're making claims like this, uh, yeah. it's it's necessarily long. Okay. okay. We'll move on. Anyway. I just there's think- a different... But story is a big part of mm. books to back up an idea. And the way you deliver the story is absolutely critical. We mm. both love Robert Greene. He does very mm. long stories to back up an idea. Mm. And, you know, every sentence that comes out is well thought out. And yes, it does Robert Greene, yes. back up where you're going. Yeah. Gladwell sounds good. Yeah. Harry Potter effect. <laughs> Harry Potter sounds good as well. All right. Mate, Jared Diamond, I don't think you can say that every sentence was well thought out and every sentence was absolutely necessary. Absolutely. Was. Anyway, we've done two. I think that's enough, Jared Diamond, for a farewell, mate. I nah. think. <laughs> Got you can read. No, I'm not doing anymore. Diamond's coming in. I'm not doing anymore. Uh, no, you, you, you know, the more resistance against Diamond, the more <laughs> I'm going to bring Diamond in. <laughs> mate, same as Gladwell's coming back soon. Mate, my number four uh, is coming up very, very soon, which is your number three, which is a book we've done in the past, way back in season one, and it was way too good of a book to leave it as a shitty episode. We had to redo it with some good mics and a bit more structure to it. This can well and truly be at number one in mm. other seasons. It's one of the best books you'll ever read. So, Mindset by Carol Dweck. It's, a again, a simple two-part idea, either fixed mindset or growth mindset, but it's one of those ideas that permeate to pretty much every single thing you do. And as a starting point, I agree, it's probably one of those really foundational core books that you need to read to get a grasp of before you go too far along your reading journey. So, the fixed mindset is the belief that qualities are carved in stone and what's the point of improving yourself if you're just a fixed entity and uh, all that effort's just going to be wasted because it's just not going to do anything anyway. Growth mindset, on the other hand, it just says that the hand that you're dealt with is just a starting point for your development. So, it's the fundamental belief that with effort, any skill out there is learnable. So, basically, anything that presents itself as a challenge, it's just that as a challenge that can be overcome and beaten. Yeah, I think it's uh, two vitally uh, and two very different things to think. I'm not good at maths. I just um, That's just my brain. I was born with it. I can't learn it. I just can't do it compared to saying, okay, I didn't do so well on that test. Maybe I didn't practice enough yet. Maybe I haven't studied maths enough yet. They're two very different approaches. One says, this is just how I was born. There's nothing I can do about it. One says, okay, I recognize I haven't put the effort in yet. If I try a bit harder, I can probably learn it. Yeah, and we've got to recognize when we use the different language. I think all of us do it in different ways. Mm. Some people out there might be just, uh, you know, relationships or something. Like you might have that in love experience at the start where you think the other person is ridiculously amazing. And then when it doesn't go that way, you just think that relationships are fixed, whereas it's the growth mindset would be relationships is something you should be working on all the time and improving and takes effort to cultivate. I think I remember you saying you um, always say it about art, like you suck at art, right? Mm. Yeah, definitely. I do suck at art. What do you think about my <laughs> That's art, That's very uh, fixed. Yeah, that's not too bad. Not too bad. To, I think it, with a bit more effort, you could improve. I think it's fixed in stone that I'm a... <laughs> I think you're awesome. <laughs> I'm awesome, mate. <laughs> Yeah, no. It's, it, well, it's interesting. I think like music, I've put in the the years and the decades of practice. So I'd say that I'm good at music now. But there's no doubt that if uh, someone had never had any music lessons, they'd be shit at music. Yeah. But it's not the fact that you can't do it. It's not that you weren't born musical. It's just the fact that you've never had a lesson before. Yeah. So if you're in the fixed mindset, a lot of effort, there's a big risk. Mm. It's like the belief that 
if you try really hard and everyone knows that you're trying really hard, then there's a big risk that you're going to get found out that you're actually not going to be good. Mm. Whereas those with the growth mindset, the risk is actually in not trying because mm. the thought that I could be something, it's actually heartbreaking to think that you could be something and you didn't do all you can to mm. possibly get there. Yeah, most definitely. For the... Uh for the fixed mindset person, for them to put in any effort to try to get better, that's almost admitting I'm not good enough. Whereas for the growth mindset person, they recognize the only way for them to be good enough is to put in that effort. So number two for both of us, again, a clear number one in any other year. It was our number one for a very long Mm. time. Seven habits of highly effective people. Yeah. As I said, mindset was my uh, number four and my three, two, one, I, I think any of those four could all be number one. They could all shuffle that order from four, three, two, one is a very, very close. It's not a big difference between number one and number four. But Seven Habits, it was my uh, favorite book for a hell of a long time and it's still high up there. Probably number. It's probably number one. I just wanted to get the book that is number one a bit higher up because I knew you wouldn't have it high enough up. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to average it out to be a bit higher. Yeah. <laughs> we both started doing that, haven't yeah. we? But uh, Seven Habits, um, very clear, very, very strong book. I think it's just seven simple things. It's it's uh, pretty obvious things if you think about it. Like it's not nothing groundbreaking, nothing new, but it's just packaged in this way that is uh, so good and applies to everybody. And every time you go back to it, you learn something new from it or a new part of it hits you more than the others. For me, the first time I read it, and I think uh, for a lot of people, it might be pretty basic, but the first time you come across the idea, the idea of proactivity, it's that everything that happens in your life, it's because of you. It's because of your choices. And between the world doing something to you and your response, there's an ability for you to choose your response. So if you want something different in your life, it's up to you and you can go out and change things. Yeah, that's right. So that the gap between stimulus and response, that's where you can choose. I really like the, uh, the first time I read it, my favorite bit was the uh, circle of influence versus the circle of concern, part of that habit one, be proactive. Just saying that there's so much shit going on out in the world. There's a lot of stuff that people are concerned about, but there's a smaller subset of that, which is a circle of influence. That's the things that you can actually control. That's the things you can do something about. Ineffective people have got a massive circle of concern, but effective people, they focus on what's inside their circle of influence. They're focusing on growing their circle of influence and shrinking their circle of concern. That's seven habits of highly effective people. Number two, but probably number one for yeah, I'll probably, <laughs> both I'll probably, of us if you didn't try your jujitsu on yeah, I think I should, I should get it. It should be number one. It's, it's bloody good. I've, I think I've read it three times now. I think you've read it four times now. Yeah. And I think, it's, uh, I, I think I'll probably read it again in another 12 months and, and learn something new again. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so number one for you, mate, range. Mate, this, you skipped down the notes. Yeah, no, nah, right. I, I want to have. The, I didn't want range to have the final <laughs> word, mate. That's probably fair. That's probably fair. What was it for you? Number seven, I think. Range was number seven for me. I think it was a good book. Yeah, yeah. This was number one for me. I think it's, uh, it's the, it's number one as well because it's my. It's a new book I've read. Uh, my number two, Seven Habits, I'd read a couple of times before. My number three, which is coming for you soon, I'd read it about 12 months ago. This was a, a brand new book that I read. So I was like very surprised, learned a lot of new things and uh, I thought it was awesome. I think I, I'll probably read again. As I said in the episode, I've read it, I read it like twice mm-hmm. in a f- four or five week span. So I was uh, very impressed by range. Really yeah, liked it. the idea, man. Well, it's just a simple idea. There's these two sports people. One is a guy who started as an absolute superstar, basically from the day he was born. He was walking around, dragging a golf club. He couldn't even talk yet, but his dad was teaching him to swing. He went on national TV and was driving uh, you know, hundreds of yards on national TV. He couldn't even talk yet. He, when he was four years old, he was hustling people. He was beating adults. Uh, when he was four as well, I think he won the first, like his under-10s competition or something, which is pretty crazy. Uh, and he went on to become the best in the world, and that's Big Bad Tiger. He got an early head start. He did a lot of deliberate practice. He spent hours and hours and hours every single day becoming the best in the world. Tiger Woods? Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods. <laughs> good guess, good guess. Contrast that with somebody else who also became number one in their sport, 
but didn't really get really into their sport until they were late into their teens. When they were a young kid, they started doing you know, wrestling and swimming and uh, skiing and badminton. I just made all those things up, but they did a shitload of different sports. They didn't really like uh, their own sport. They didn't want to advance. They just want to hang out with their friends and talk about wrestling and have fun. But eventually, later in life, found something that he really loved, committed, and became number one in the world, even into his mid-30s. Any guesses? Roger Federer? Roger Federer. I've yeah. read the book, so it's cheating. <laughs> yeah, the whole idea here is the difference between specialization and generalization. Uh, so when it comes to Tiger Woods, obviously specialization, doing the one thing forever, well and truly clocking over 10,000 hours practice and more. And David Epstein, he makes the case that, yes, there are many places where specialization is the way to go. Mm. But moving forward now in the world of business where technology is going and all the different change we're going to have, the idea of specialization isn't going to be as superior strategy as generalization. So there's a serious upside and serious case for jumping around, finding a whole range of different skills early in search for your match quality. Eventually, you might find the thing that matches you um, and then you know, you've know you learned a lot, lot of skills along the way and then you'll be better off. Yeah, that's right. Golf, as one example, is basically all about error minimization. You've got one repetitive skill that you do over and over and over, and the least error that you can have, the better you are. And something like that is favored by this specialization, this intense focus, getting started early, working harder at everybody else, practicing that one skill over and over. Tennis is a bit more unpredictable. You can move around. There's uh, another player. So there's less predictability. So something like that is favored by a more broad approach, more range. And then, of course, tennis, even still, tennis is pretty simple. If you look at the the world of your career where there's no rules, there's no clear skills that you need, uh, you need to really work it out for yourself and the best person isn't necessarily the one who's just done 10,000 hours of one skill. You need to go out there, get a whole bunch of range, bring it all together, become a superstar later on. Mate, for this book, how much is it number one because it confirms your self-opinion? Probably 99%. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, that was a barb I was throwing at you that way too ready for. The rest of the questions will be compared to it objectively being a good book because range, word for word, mate, you've just jumped around, jumped around. You haven't held yeah. a job for <laughs> more it. than a couple of years. Jumping around. Man, just- I'm following the range path purposely. <laughs> the only thing is I was doing range before I read range. So, it wasn't, it wasn't an intentional <laughs> so strategy. Fuck. So, it's just like, oh, shit, I'm doing it right. Yeah, exactly. Number one. Exactly. Confirmed self-opinion goes, no, <laughs> mate, I'm the same. I've been living a range kind of life as well. So, uh, I love this as a critique is this is the main criticism i get all the time and probably i don't know you maybe as well just like people oh, you, i feel like you're spreading yourself too thin just too, doing too much random shit mm. and don't seem to have some kind of cohesion mm. but after reading this you got no nah, mate just find a match quality <laughs> developing some skills doing some range living like roger federer yeah it'll all work <laughs> out in the end but that's what, that's what his advice is basically. If you feel like you're behind, don't worry too much. You're not that behind. As long as you're – if you're going full specialization, full 10,000 hours and you're behind, then yeah, you're behind. Mm. But if you're going wide, getting range, you're getting a whole bunch of different skills, there's going to be people who are ahead of you at the moment but over the long term, you can learn quicker and you can catch them, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, mate. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. <laughs> if Epstein's wrong, are you going to just like take this down, mate, to the, to the end of your bookshelf? Yeah, that, it would just be straight in the bin. Yeah. If- <laughs> well, we interviewed Epstein, so we got his contact details. Yeah, that's it. But, uh, mate, number one for me. Number three for me, and again, this could have been could have been number one. And I think when we read it as the first book of this half of the year, I said it was number one, and it easily could be for me as well. Yeah, it's a fucking good book. And that's Mastery by Robert Greene, obviously one of our favorite authors. He's, he's a master himself. He's an absolute legend. So we've done the 48 Laws of Power, which is awesome. We've done the Laws of Human Nature, which is our overall combined number one best book of all time. And now the, the number one for you and arguably could be for me as well for this season is Mastery, legendary book. So the full first section of the book is all about finding your calling. It's a very big call to actually write about that in a book. Mm. It's something that I think every everybody wants. And if you're not there yet, you should be curious about this chapter, how to find your calling, right? Because living a life where you just wake up and everything's mundane and you're a little bit a little bit bored compared to someone who's actually found their calling, they're just two different levels that you're actually playing at. It's something that I think a lot of books try to do. You know, go out there and find your calling, find your passion, follow your passion, follow your dreams. And I think a lot of books do it poorly. This is one one exception where I think 
on the surface, it sounds like just like every other book, but he does it completely differently. And I think a, a lot more uh, rationally as well. Yeah. So I'm going to do a simplistic little description of it now. We did three different parts to that episode. Mm. So it's almost two and a half hours worth of content that covers it properly, I think. But basically, for all of us, when we're born, a seed is planted. It's actually objectively true that the exact sequence of your DNA is never going to happen again in the future and it's never happened in the past. So there is a unique part of you that is because of your DNA. And this uniqueness, it wants to grow, it wants to transform itself and flower to its full potential and has some kind of natural assertive energy to it. So your life's task and find your calling is to bring that seed of your uniqueness to flower, to express your uniqueness through your work. And this is really your destiny. So yes, you got this uniqueness, but there's a counter force that is going against that. And that is your social pressures to conform against what everyone else is doing in society. So there's this constantly this pressure between this counter force for you to conform with the way everyone else is doing things compared to you being unique. So I think that is just great advice for you to actually listen to the inner seed within yourself that we've all got and actually follow that path beside, you know, even though it's going to lead you to a different path that everyone else mm. is on. And that's actually the way to go. Yeah, I think that's a it's a it's good to look at it from that perspective that there's these two forces that are battling against each other. For most people, the social pressure wins out and people just follow a, a somewhat safe traditional path. For the masters, they were the ones who were able to push back against that dig deep to find their true calling uh, that they were born with innately and then go through the, that's just chapter one. And there's five more chapters that go about the process. We did it in three parts. I think we could have probably done it in six or six chapters. We probably, probably could have done six different episodes, one on each uh, chapter. Uh, I think it's a phenomenal book. I think yeah. it's like if you're, you know, if you're looking to follow this path of mastery, it's pretty much the textbook that you need to just follow step by step. Mm, well, I think it's something that incorporates range plus outliers in the same yeah. idea i feel like <laughs> yeah you know, part one find your calling it's all about range really yeah and then part two to three it's kind of a bit like outliers yeah. so yeah, like it does that. a bit of a higher level maneuver incorporating everything and i think yeah. this is i really do think uh, i said earlier that no book's the bible um this one is this one is <laughs> <laughs> too good mate well that's that brings us to the end of our top 10 lists as I said, it was super strong. I think any of my top six, uh, at least, yeah, at least any of my top six could have been number one in any other season, I think. So it was a very, uh, uh, very high on that top end, I think, of a lot of really good books. Mm. And we actually sort of converged a little bit more than usual. Normally, our books are really far apart. In terms of last time, I think like both our number ones didn't even make it the other person's mm. list and like three of your top four weren't on my list. But this time, we've converged a little bit more. We have a little bit. I think last time, we were looking at our uniqueness and uh, trying to push away against yeah. each other more and more <laughs> to just to establish our own style yeah. of book. But now, uh, I think we're past that a little bit again. I'll probably mm. come back on Gladwell. I'm not that anti-Gladwell. I think there's a lot of identity it, tied up in being anti-Gladwell. Yeah, I'm kind of dropping that a little <laughs> bit and you know, I've hung on to it pretty tightly this episode. <laughs> well, I think, um, uh, I think we also had a big change mid-season as well. Around March, we had a plan of exactly what we we're going to do for March, April, May and very quickly, the whole world changed. So, we thought we can't just keep going with the books that we were going to do. There's one book coming about people dying and everyone being okay with that that we thought let's push that being back mortal. to season five yeah. <laughs> being mortal it's coming in uh, in season five but yeah so we shifted uh, the types of books we were doing just to be a, a little bit more relevant to the whole world situation Man, should we get a bit of a teaser yeah the well as we have July every month is juggernaut month we've got five big juggernauts coming uh, we've got Steve Jobs Massive book on Goodreads by Walter Isaacson, a biography. One of our first biographies, really, mm. that we've done properly, I think, on the podcast. The first one we've done properly. We did Elon Musk in like episode 10, but that, I wouldn't say sucked. we've done that properly. Yeah. This is it. Oh, Jesus. Jeez, what was that? <laughs> right. So, we're doing that properly. We've got uh, The Power of Positive Thinking by Norman Vincent Peale. We've got The Art of War by Sun Tzu. We've got The Selfish Gene by Richard Dawkins and we've got what you have read already. I haven't read it yet, but you said this is now in your top five books of all time. Mate, be objective for a second and don't just try and fucking fall into any biases. <laughs> yeah. What is the difference you saw in this house? <laughs> okay. Uh, be exceptional. If anyone uh, had have met or interacted with Adam Jones in, in uh, a bygone era, his car was a mess, 
He'd come to my house to record the podcast. He'd leave three things behind. He'd lose shit all the time. You'd ask him, where's the, where's this? And he, he, in fact, even as early last as last week, week I said, where's the microphone? He lost one of the two microphones. <laughs> so there was a bit of running around to try and find how we can actually record a podcast episode. Yeah, and I lost today. it in my own house. <laughs> We're all locked up inside. There's nowhere, nowhere else I could have lost it. Have we, have we even dropped? I don't think we've ever mentioned what the book is. Well, life-changing magic of uh, tidying up. By Maria Kondo, your new top five book of all oh, time. Man, I was wasn't expecting much from this book, but uh, my house is the most tidy thing <laughs> you'll ever come across in your life. I think this is in the same kind of ballpark as uh, Alan Carr, Easy Way to Stop Smoking, mm. whereas it changes your brain that much um, that you actually change as a person and you you've, you buy into a new identity by the end of the book. And in this case, I'm a tidy person. I know what you're about to say, mate. <laughs> Time will tell. Give it a month. <laughs> so, we'll, well, that's it. Well, so today is what day one of what I've seen. When did you do the tidy up? Maybe a week ago? Well, this is day one of the tidy. Day one of the tidy. We finished it yesterday. <laughs> okay. So, today's day one. By the time we actually record the episode, it'll be about six or seven There'll weeks in. There'll be extra in. data. So, we'll see. Let's, let's check back in six or seven weeks' time. Let's see how tidy the, uh, the room is. But that's, uh, that's Juggernaut Month. That's what's coming up. And uh, we're looking forward to it. Always yeah. love a good Juggernaut Month. Season five. Yeah. Coming soon. Well, thank you everyone for listening again for this season. Uh, we've absolutely loved it. I'm uh, still loving books just as much, if not more than, than ever. I'm still enjoying as much as ever recording this podcast with you, Ashto. And everyone listening, uh, feel free to give us feedback on how we're going. Leave us a review and everything like that because, as we said at the start, we love measuring our dick. <laughs> and uh, part of the measurement comes from how well the, the podcast is doing. Thank you.